Good morning, church family. Today we are going to begin our new summer series, Choose Wisely. But before we dive into that, I need to ask you guys some questions. By a show of hands, how many of you love making choices? You wake up in the morning, you're rip-roaring, you're ready to go, ready to make some choices, some decisions. Anybody feel like that this morning? Just a couple of you like making choices. Conversely, how many of you wake up in the morning and you just dread making choices? I just wish somebody could make all the decisions for me. A lot more people resonate with that. That was the same in the first service as well. Sometimes we love to make choices. I know people who love making choices. So we get to be the hero, right, when things go well. On the other hand, there are those of us who don't like making choices because we don't want to be blamed. We don't want to be the villain if we get it wrong. There's a great story I heard about a CEO who moved to a new company. Before settling into his new role, he actually meets with the outgoing CEO. And the outgoing CEO says to him, you know what, I've done you a huge favor. I've put three envelopes in the top drawer of your your desk. And you're going to make mistakes. It happens to all of us. You're going to mess things up. You're going to make some mistakes. But what I've done is that when you make your first mistake, open envelope number one. Make your second mistake, open envelope number two third mistake, envelope number three, and so on. For the first few months, everything goes fine. Then the CEO makes his first mistake. He grows to the drawer, he opens up envelope number one, and the message from his predecessor reads, blame me. And so he does. He gathers everybody together. He says, you know, this is the old CEO's fault. He made these mistakes. I I just inherited these problems. And everybody says, okay, like that, that makes sense. It works out pretty well for him. Things go fine for a little while longer. Then he makes his second mistake, another bad decision. So he goes to the drawer again. He opens up envelope number two, and the message reads, blame the board. And so he does that. He gets everybody together again, and he says, this board, you know what? They have been a mess for quite some time. I inherited them. They're the problem. And everybody says, okay, all right, we, we get it. Makes sense. Things go fine for a little while longer, then he makes another bad choice. And so he goes to the drawer, he opens up envelope number three, and the message reads, prepare three envelopes. (laughs) This CEO's bad choices cost him his job. He tried to play the blame game until he was found out. In church family, collectively, our choices over the course of our lives will impact something far greater than our employment. Our choices impact our very soul. Our choices impact who we will marry, who we associate with, who we'll go into business with, where we decide to go to college, where you decide to raise your family, what church you decide to attend. If you decide to attend church, how seriously you take your relationship with the Lord. These are just some of the choices that will stack up over the course of our lives, these choices forming the very person you are. Choose Wisely is a study of the kings of Israel and Judah to learn from their choices, both wise and foolish, because you see the book of Kings is in part a character study where we see these kings placed in difficult situations again and again. Sometimes they choose wisely, but often their choices lack wisdom. On the weeks we're examining a wise king, the graphic is going to be blue. 
On the weeks we're examining a king who lacked wisdom, the graphic will be read. And here's the point. God's word is given to us so that we might know the truth. The truth about how to live. I think many of us are here this morning because we know we need this community. We need the church in order to live in that truth. Now the kings we're going to focus on in this series, they don't have the exact same story as we do. They were royalty. They lived thousands of years ago in a context that's vastly different from our own. But we do share a distinctive that connects us across culture and millennia. We all fall short of the glory of God, as Romans says. We are connected by our sin nature and our propensity to choose what is foolish over what is wise. The hope of this Choose Wisely sermon series is that we'll take a fresh look at how we make our own choices, what we prioritize, and where our truest devotion lies. I'm going to say a word of prayer as we dive into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for giving us the wisdom of your word. It is chock full of resources for us to not only see examples from other people's lives, but Lord, communicated direct truths from your mind to our ears. Lord, I pray that you'll give us receptive ears to hear. I'm, I'm talking about myself as well, because we all can level up in our wisdom, how we make decisions, how we hear from you, the willingness we have to hear from you. Father, as we also celebrate Independence Day this week, we recognize that true freedom comes through you, Lord. So I would ask for you to bless our nation, bring us back to you, and then for our hearts, render them to you that we might be changed through the teaching of your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles or your Bible apps to 1 Kings chapter 3. It is fitting that we begin this series entitled Choose Wisely with the wisest king who ever lived, King Solomon. Solomon became king after his father David. Solomon was not a perfect king. Um, We're going to get more into his imperfections next week. But Solomon was a good king. And a lot of that was due to his wisdom. And Scripture makes it very clear that the genesis of Solomon's wisdom comes from a conversation that he had with God during a dream while he was in Gibeon. In this dream, God tells Solomon, ask, what should I give you? He says to Solomon, ask, what do you want? God offers Solomon a blank check, and Solomon responds this way in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. He says, now, Lord, my God, You have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon does something so wonderful here. He admits that he is a person in leadership. He has immense power. He clearly understands this. But he also admits that he doesn't know what he is doing. Jewish tradition holds that Solomon is somewhere between the ages of 20 and 22 as he says this. And here he acknowledges that compared to the task at hand, he is as if a little child. 
Because Solomon knows his place because he is self-aware to know that he needs to be humble, he asks for a discerning heart so that he might govern well. And if you know anything about our God, God must have loved this response from Solomon. A discerning heart refers to our ability to perceive and understand deeply, to make wise choices, to exercise sound judgment. You see, church, Solomon desired above any request the ability to distinguish between right and wrong, to understand the complexities of ruling a nation. Perhaps the most important part is that he wasn't embarrassed or ashamed to admit his shortcomings. Friends, how often is it that we have a hard time admitting that we don't know something? Especially in some particular context where we feel like we need to be the expert, we can oftentimes really struggle to admit that we might have a deficit of knowledge or understanding. We live in a culture of competency. And so oftentimes you just try to fake it until we make it. How often do we rush in without discernment, often with disastrous results? Almost probably everyone here knows about the tragic events that played out a few weeks ago with the submarine explosion. For those of you who do not watch any news, because you would have had to have not watched any news to not know this, there was a submarine tourist expedition, the Ocean Gate Titan, that was going to visit the wreckage of the Titanic. And during this voyage, the submarine experienced a catastrophic explosion, killing everyone on board tragically. As tragic as this was, what perhaps is even more tragic is that this was all preventable. Multiple safety warnings were ignored. The submarine was not certified. It was made up of the wrong materials. It didn't have the sufficient strength to maintain the depths it was trying to reach. With all these warnings, most of which were Unaware by the passengers, the owners and the operators of the Ocean Gate Titan continued on. The reason why I bring this up is because we can often operate as though we have it all together, like we have all the answers, when often we are the ones who are ready to explode. When there are warning signs all around us flashing, we don't acknowledge them. Solomon knows here in our text that he is inadequate And so when the Lord comes to him, he doesn't ask for more gold. He doesn't ask for more chariots or more fighting men. He doesn't ask for anything for himself. Instead, he chooses to ask for something that will bless his people and glorify his God. And this brings us to our first truth for this morning. Is that wisdom is found in the choice to bring our inadequacy to God. Wisdom is found in our choice to bring our inadequacy to God. Solomon chose to bring this to God about his leadership. And what did God do? He supplied Solomon's need. And friends, I think the same thing applies for us today because if we're honest, we all have things in our lives that could implode on us at any moment. Maybe a deep need that we have, a resentment that we're holding on to, a longing that over time has just continued to be unfulfilled. Perhaps we have a hurt in our lives that we just can't shake free from. 
or you fill in the blank. We all have things in our lives that if we don't come to the Lord in humility and admit our inadequacy, we are bound to implode. The wisdom is found in the choice to bring that inadequacy to God. Friends, consider what are you lacking today? What can God supply for you today? You see, friends, it wasn't just his decision to ask God for a discerning heart that made Solomon a faithful king, a wise king. Perhaps the most notable achievement in his reign was his desire his choice to build God's temple. If you know anything about Old Testament history, one of the biggest themes uh, in, in the Old Testament involves finding a place for God to dwell amongst the people on the earth. Jerusalem was the location that God chose for his dwelling to be built, and it was King David who had a desire to build this dwelling for the Lord, but God chose Solomon for this task. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Here we're going to read Solomon's words about his thought process as he was set to begin the construction of the Lord's temple. 1 Kings chapter 5, starting in verse 3. We read, You know that because of the wars waged against my father David from all sides, he could not build a temple for the name of the Lord his God, until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is no adversary or disaster. Verse 5, I intend, therefore, to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son, whom I will put on, your, on the throne in your place, will build the temple for my name. Now, there are a couple of things we glean from Solomon's words here. First is that David was too overburdened to do an adequate job of building the temple. If David had attempted to build, it would have likely have been a subpar effort. Not because he lacked the passion to complete the process, but because of the many other commitments that were going on in his life and in the life of the nation. But by comparison, Solomon is living in a time of peace. He has made many diplomatic treaties. He has the favor of his neighbors. He has the adequate time and energy to put the temple construction front and center. Given the biblical timeline, it took about three years to complete the temple. This includes time to gather materials, the actual construction itself, along with the decorations of fine gold and cedar and precious stones. One of the things to take note of here is that God is patient. As he calls us to things, big and small, he is patient with us. God would rather have work done in his name that is planned and executed well, rather than something that is rushed and ill-prepared. God operates himself in absolute excellence, and he calls his people to pursue excellence at all times, but especially when our efforts are in his name. Another thing to take note of here is that Solomon doesn't take the fact that he is living in a time of peace to rest on his laurels. Solomon could have chosen to take it easy. He could have said, oh, man, this seven-year construction project, I don't know that I want to get into that. I'd much rather take my yacht on the Mediterranean and just chill out for a while. But he doesn't do that. 
Solomon has the wisdom to know that peacetime will not always be a present reality for the nation, so he wants to strike while the iron is hot. This brings us to our second truth for this morning. Wisdom is found in the choice not to grow comfortable, but to press onward into God's purposes. One of the most important values in American culture is comfort. Would you agree with that? Comfort's kind of important to us? I think so. Americans expect to be comfortable. From the time we're born in the hospital wrapped in blankets, placed on a soft mattress in a climate-controlled room, we expect to be comfortable. We go to sleep on our select comfort beds. We wake up under a blanket that's called a comforter. We sit in furniture crafted for our comforts. We eat comfort food in them. We drive cars that keep us from the discomfort of having to walk or ride a bike. And to top it all off, we don't really value our comfort because at this point, we take it for granted. Now, don't get me wrong. There is nothing wrong with physical comfort in and of itself. I enjoy my comfortable Sunday nap that I will take later on today. However, we must recognize that within a culture that emphasizes comfort to the extent that ours does, it can often be hard to choose to be uncomfortable for the cause of Christ. Remember, it was Jesus who said to his disciples in Luke chapter 9, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Jesus is alerting us to the idea that the Christian life is not based on comfort as this world would have us pursue it. Rather, the Christian life is rooted in the denial of what we may want in the moment for a future greater good. As many of you know, I was able to go on the seventh grade missions trip to Rhode Island a few weeks ago. Any of our Rhode Islanders in here? Woot, woot. Yeah, yeah. I have literally been on dozens of mission trips over the years. I don't even know how many mission trips I've been on. It's just a lot. I've served at several rescue missions across the country, coast to coast, but none of that prepared me for what we encountered at the Providence Rescue Mission. When we arrived there at the Providence Rescue Mission, one of the gentlemen who worked there led us to this room that we have now named the Soda Room and asked us if we could organize it. Now, to let you in a little bit on my thought process, I was like, okay, we can organize this. But I'm like, how did this get like this? I was like a lot more interested in how this happened than like trying to immediately just dive in and solve these problems. This room was roughly like 10 by 20 in in diameter. Um, uh, it, It was filled with soda cans, many of them leaking and expired. The floor was sticky. There was a horde of gnats. Uh, along with many, many rodents. I did not know that rodents like soda, but they must because there was a ton of them living in the soda room. Not to mention the smell. I wish I could do like a scratch and sniff so you guys could smell (laughs) what the soda room smelled like because like we can't describe it for you. Only thing I can tell you is that the smell of this room overcame the body odor of our junior hires. So like (laughs) it it was something else. 
but I was so proud of our students. Not one of them complained about the present discomfort of cleaning this room. These students learned a valuable lesson, a part of what it means to be a resilient disciple of Jesus. They chose to think about the future, the future good that God was inviting them into, not their immediate discomfort, right? Friends, isn't this the choice that is before us almost every single day? The choice to either focus on short-term comforts or the choice to prioritize long-term gains. How might our diets be different if we chose to look past the pleasant pleasure, pleasure and instead to look at the long-term health? How might our financial savings and investments benefit by choosing to look past the short-term impulse buy for the long-term financial plan? How might our marriages benefit by choosing to endure the discomfort of a conversation that we really don't want to have right now? Or being the first one to apologize, even when we kind of don't think it's our fault. Because we aren't focused on the present pain, but the future promise. There are so many examples like this in our lives. Maybe your mind is populating them right now. So many opportunities for us to put off the present because we know the future good that is out there and to be focused and tilted towards those things. This is the call of the Christian life. To put off future present comfort for future greater good. Moving on in our text, Solomon has a vision of how this temple will be a future blessing. We see in chapter 7, Solomon completes the temple. And in chapter 8, he offers an amazing prayer to God in which he spreads out his arms towards heaven in front of the altar with all of the Israelites assembled there. He offers an amazing prayer to God. And we don't have time to go into this entire prayer this morning. I would encourage you to read it this week. You will find encouragement from it. But in this prayer, Solomon asks for God's faithfulness to continue to be upon the people. He asks for, he acknowledges that God is omnipresent. He prays for God's presence to continue. He prays for divine guidance. He prays for forgiveness and mercy to continue to be upon the people. He prays for God's power to be among them. And then after he concludes this prayer to God in front of all assembled, he turns his attention to the people and he says this. Chapter 8, verse 60. May all the peoples of the earth know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and to keep his commands as it is today. It is clear that a part of the temple's purpose was so that the people, the nations of the earth, would know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. Solomon's seven-year construction project had this idea in view. The temple was not just a dwelling. It wasn't just a place of worship. It was a symbol of something greater, something singular, unlike anything else ever. You see, friends, both David and Solomon understood this. 
that God is like no other. Solomon's faithfulness to God is built upon this understanding. And therefore his admonition as he addresses the people is to be wholehearted towards God. The word Solomon uses here in this passage for wholehearted devotion is the Hebrew word shalem. The etymology of the Hebrew word shalem is related to the concept of completedness or wholeness, integrity. It carries the idea of being whole or sound in every aspect, indicating sincerity, undivided loyalty. How do we know if we're being wholehearted? How do we know that? From the context of this this chapter, 1 Kings chapter 8, how do we know if we're being wholehearted? Well, it says if we are keeping God's statutes and his commands. In other words, obedience is a great measure of your heart's devotion. And so I hope you see what Solomon is saying in these two verses. They have taken seven years of sweat and of blood and of treasure to erect a monument to their God. This is to be a sign to the nations that the Lord is God and that there is no other. And the people are to then live lives that echo this same message. And that brings us to our third truth for this morning. Wisdom is found in the choice to grow your heart's devotion towards God. Wisdom is found in the choice to grow your heart's devotion towards God. Right now, each of our hearts are growing in a particular direction. This is happening all the time. And perhaps we're unaware that this is even happening. But here are a couple of examples. How many people in here welcomed a new child or a grandchild into your family this year by a show of hands? This year. Several of us. Your heart grew, amen? Amen. How many people got married or gained a new child through marriage this year? Any of those in here? Couple, yes, one marriage here. Your heart grew. Amen? Amen. Is there anyone in here who made a new friend this year? Somebody you consider a good friend. All the teenagers raised their hands, right? As we onboard those new relationships, our heart grows. Amen? Many of us know what it's like to easily make new connections. It's like our heart expands to accommodate it. It's not like once you have your seventh grandchild, you're like, oh, no, like I don't have any more room. You're on your own, kid. No, your heart expands to accommodate as many as it takes. And it's not even hard. But church, have we thought about being intentional, about growing our heart's devotion towards the Lord? And some of you may think, well, I don't really know what, I don't know how to do that. Church family, while God the Father isn't a flesh and blood human being, God is a person with a mind, emotions, and a will. We are made in his image. We get the fact that we are a person from him, which means we can talk to him. He will listen. We can learn his statutes. We can learn what is important to him like we do in other normal relationships. 
We can follow his commands and then intentionally seek to live those out, building relationship as we go. This really isn't significantly different from other relationships we have. Some people say, yeah, right, well, God doesn't speak to me. I say, yes, he does. God does speak to you. But many do not know the word of God. And so to them, yes, he is virtually silent. You see, we grow our heart's devotion towards God as we dive into relationship with him. I'm going to tell it to you straight. If you do not feel God's presence in your life, you might want to consider whether or not you've been intentional to grow your heart towards him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. To the one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks the door will be opened. But notice, we have to ask. We have to knock. If we choose not to ask, if we choose, if we're uninterested in knocking, we cannot be surprised if doors do not open. Speaking of choices, I cannot help but share a powerful testimony that I heard last week from Pastor Luis Cardona from the Providence Rescue Mission. Here is a a picture of Pastor Luis praying with our students as we're ending our time at the mission. Pastor Luis came to America from Guatemala. He left his girlfriend behind so that he could get established and settled in America, and then he was planning to send for her. Guatemala was and is a troubled place And he found out as soon as he arrived in America that his girlfriend that he left behind had been murdered. Her family blamed Luis, saying that if he hadn't run off to pursue his American dream, that their daughter would still be alive. Luis blamed himself also, and this sent him down a spiral of alcohol and drug addiction. Luis was living on the streets of Rhode Island when he says an African-American gentleman approached him. And this man told him, he had never seen him before, but he told him, God is going to use you. God has a plan for your life. God is going to be glorified through your life. And Luis in a drunken stupor says, I am useless to God. God would not be able to do anything with my life. But the man convinced him to stay one night at the Providence Rescue Mission. One night turned into two. Two turned into a week. A week turned into five. Turned into months. After a couple years, he graduated from the recovery program. He started working at the mission. He even married the executive director's daughter. Pastor Luis shared, and this is probably the most pivotal moment of his life, or one of them, that when him and his wife were pregnant with their second child, his wife was having complications. She began to bleed, and they know that something was terribly wrong. They were certain she had miscarried because there was no longer any movement at all in her womb for quite some time. In the midst of this terrible tragedy, Luis turned his rage and his anger towards God. He said, I have done everything you have asked of me. I've given everything to follow you. And now you take my child? 
Well, we said that the Holy Spirit responded to him in that moment and said, you claim to believe in my power. You tell others of the wondrous things that I can do. And yet you have not chosen to ask me to save your child. Upon hearing this clear message from the Holy Spirit, Luis begins to beg God for the life of his child. By this time, him and his wife were walking into the hospital. And in his wife's testimony, she says, as they were crying out to God, believing that he was the God of miracles, her once lifeless womb began to stir up within her to what she said felt like a tornado inside of her. Not long after that, she delivered a perfectly healthy child. Praise God. Luis and his wife firmly believe that their choice to stop blaming God and to start asking him is what made the difference. Church family, what about your life? What about my life? Pastor Luis was prompted by the Holy Spirit. He made the choice to seek even in the midst of uncertainty, even when it felt like God had left him. For some of us, this is a critical moment where we make the unwise decision to try to do it on our own. Where we seek out earthly wisdom that sounds good to our ears but is very short-sighted in the end. From the context of 1 Kings 2 through 8, Solomon's life, we have learned that wisdom is found in the choice to bring our inadequacy to God to not grow comfortable, but to press on towards God's purposes for our lives and to choose to grow our heart's devotion towards God. Church family, if we prioritize these things, we will choose wisely and we will live the lives that Jesus died to make possible. And that really is the point of all of this. We have been given a gift. The cross is a gift to mankind. Because of the cross, you can choose. You can choose to take your burdens and you can lay them down. Because of the cross, you can choose to forgive and break free of your anger. Because of the cross, you can take the shame of your past and you can throw it into the depth of the sea. Because of the cross, you can choose to love the most unlovable. Amen? It's because of the cross. But most likely you and I will not be forced into this choice. It is an act of the will. Jesus says in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. That is a choice. Deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. For what good will it be for a man to profit the world yet forfeit their soul? This is the choice. Jesus makes it very clear for us. On one hand, you have the denial of oneself that opens the door to discipleship. On the other hand, we do it our own, on our own way, on our own terms, how we want it, but the price is high. That way we forfeit our soul. 
There are some of us here this morning who have chosen to follow Jesus. Praise God. We're growing. We're solid. Keep choosing Jesus. Continue to grow your heart towards him. Expand your love for your Savior. And be a blessing to others as a result. However, there are others here who maybe have not chosen to follow Jesus quite yet. Perhaps you're still unsure about faith. Perhaps you're still uncertain as to whether there really is something to all of this. Friends, this will be the defining decision of your life. And my prayer for those who are still deciding what to do with Jesus is that you will choose to earnestly seek him out. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. May each one of us choose to seek him out today for whatever we are needing today because he is real. He is here and he is available. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that we find in it, the lives that we see lived out through the text. They're highlighting the choices that we have to make, giving us great examples to follow, but also those to not follow. But Father, we thank you that we have the ultimate example in your son, Jesus, who lived a life that we could never live, who died a death so that we did not have to. Father, I pray that we grow, we choose to grow our heart's affection towards you because you are available. You are able to supply every need that we have. We will not be lacking one bit as we surrender. By the Holy Spirit, I pray that you will convince our hearts of that. Because this world that we live in is deceitful, it tells us a different story. Lord, may we be invested in your word in your truth, so that we might live in your presence, in the fulfillment of all you have sacrificed to make possible. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Christ our Lord. Amen.